Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We work really hard to put this show together, and hopefully you enjoy it too. So here's the deal. Head over to 1865.football slash flatback and take a look at Flatback 4's range of forest gifts. Buy yourself something nice for Christmas and use the code 1865, that's 1865, at the checkout and you'll get a 10% discount and we'll get a little kickback too. Can't say fairer than that. Welcome to the 1865 Forest Ramble podcast. And as we've got an international break, we wanted to bring you something a little bit different. Uh, and we've got another great interview lined up for you. Um, so George Harvey is a football journalist reporting on Forest and doing a bit about other football league clubs, most notably for Football League World. Um, I'm also joined by Stephen, uh, who is our regular contributor, whose voice you will know. But first of all, a big welcome to you, George, and thanks for joining us. No problem at all, guys. Thank you very much. Hope you all uh, keep on well during this, um, well, unprecedented times. But um, thank you very much for having me on. We look forward to it for a while. Oh, great. Thanks to hear. It's great, <laughs> great to hear that. Um, and um, I mean, we were just also saying about the, the joys of doing these things via Zoom, which uh, adds a different dimension. Uh, it would be much better if we were able to be sitting down over a coffee or a pint, wouldn't it? But there you yeah. go. Yeah, um, definitely. So welcome to the 1865 Forest Rumble. Just to start off with, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into sports writing and also how you ended up reporting on Forest. Yeah, so it was, it was weird really because I left sixth form um, a few years ago now and decided not to go to university. Didn't really fancy moving out of Nottingham um, and I just didn't really fancy it. So um, I went to a bit of freelance sport journalism, did a bit um, contributing to for websites and then came across Snap Media which is a, a digital sports media company in London, I uh, don't know if you're aware of it and they basically have a lot of websites, Football League World being one of them and I just volunteered to do write for them on a freelance basis and after about a year of writing for them um, they offered me a permanent role so um, yeah, I, was, I was buzzing with that and then last season at the start of last season we got a accreditation off the AFL so obviously me and we can go to games um, I 
with Forest are locked. Obviously, live about 10 minutes away from City Ground. But I also did a lot of uh, Derby games, West Brom, Stokes. Obviously, I'm living near the motorway as well, so it's easy, to get, easy enough to get to. Um, and when I, was, I think I went to 15 games home and away Forest last season and uh, only had about 200 followers. Um, so <laughs> not many people, uh, you, you, know, you wouldn't have um, come across me or not many people would. So, um, but no, that's, that's basically um, how I got into it. Very lucky, really, because... Um, very lucky to be offered a permanent role when there's so many freelancers and opportunities in the country. But then uh, at the start of this season, I decided I'm just going to stick to Forest this year because um, you know, a really interesting season um, lined up after missing out on playoffs last season. And I just thought I should go to Forest and up and down the country following them because it makes, makes sense because they're the team I know about the most, the team I've um, you know, been up following and I've been a close eye on them. Um, and then, yeah, it's been a really interesting season, obviously. Well, you've just kind of answered a bit of my next question, which is, um, you know, clearly Forrester, the club who are closest to your heart. Um, tell us a little bit about your experiences, um, you know, growing up near to the ground, going to matches and, and, and eventually ending up reporting on them. Yeah, I mean, I'm, well, it's a weird one because I, I was born, I was born obviously in 1999. I was born into a family which my dad's side was Notts County fans, and my mum's side of the family is um, as Forest fans. So my dad, from a young age, said, "Right, it's coming me to County." So I did go for my uh, sins. I did go to County a lot uh, when I was youngster, but um, I have a lot of connections uh, with Forest from my mum's side. Um, I don't know if you're aware of someone called Sammy Chapman, who's played for Forest in the 70s. Mm-hmm. He's my great uncle. Um, so. Um, yeah, he, he, he's about five minutes down the road for me, so I talk to him about Forest a lot. And then uh, my mum's cousin also used to be married to, well, still is married, but broke up to uh, Phil Starbuck to play for oh, Forest. Yeah. Um, but I think he played in Hillsborough disaster. Um, but he's played for Huddersfield as well. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, I've had friends who've supported Forest all lives. Go to them when, when you know, as a neutral when I, when I can. Back in the day when I didn't, didn't used to do reporting. And now I get to report on them. It's you know it's a pleasure, especially in these kind of times because I wish fans were there. I really do. Um, it's it's a privilege to be able to go and report on them and um, witness the empty city ground and you know, the uh, Mullican tyre blast out around the city ground for the game. It's weird, but um, yeah, so I've I've grown up uh, in Goatham, which is about fifteen minutes away from the ground, and then I've moved to five minutes away from there. Um, so yeah, a club that's re- closest to me. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll come back to some of the themes you talked about in terms of empty grounds and so on. We'll come back to that in a little while. Um, just uh, to to show the the golfing age between you and me, George. Um, <laughs> Phil Star Phil Starbuck came and spoke at one of our school assemblies. So, oh really? That's okay, how, that, that's how much older I am than you. So. Oh wow, well, I won't ask anyone. Um, yeah, Stephen. Yeah, hi, George. So, um, sort of, you you've kind of mentioned there you. you quite a, a young man yourself so what are the yeah. differences that you see with modern sports journalism compared to what was going on five ten years ago for example yeah I mean obviously when I was growing up I always do about oh, what's the post saying and my granddad would go and grab an evening post and you know newspapers used to be the first form of of media but obviously it's an ever-changing world now um obviously we've seen people like, like Phil Hay and people go to the athletic now which is you know all about social media present you know he relies on people they, the athletic people that uh, is allowing people uh, allowing people to subscribe to them so if it wasn't for his social media presence and a massive following of Leeds fans not many people would you know subscribe you know it wouldn't be a, the athletic wouldn't be as successful as it is now so I think it is changing you know it's probably every month rather than every year um you know it's all about 
um, you know, not just simple news stories about thinking outside the box. It's about features. It's about um, the things we may have learned, and you know, it, so it has changed. It's gone from print to online social media now. So you know, it's clear to notice the changes, and you know, it's they're changing. So next year probably be something very different. You just don't ever know. And um, I mean, you mentioned there about uh, sort of the changing face of of how you get people to read your stories. And you talked about your your Twitter followers before you mentioned um, Phil Hay there and how he was able to take a sort of a loyal following um, with him to the Athletic after reporting at the Yorkshire Post. Same with our very own Paul Taylor, isn't it? Um, Yeah, exactly. uh, So, I mean... (sighs) Do you think it's absolutely vital for um, for a journalist to be connected on social media these days? I'd say it's important, definitely. Um, it, it doesn't always mean that most people, the most followers in the world, have have the best content or the most engaging content. But you know, it is important to um, you know strum up a relationship with your, with your followers or the readers because as a reader, you want to feel connected, and especially in times like this as well, you want to feel off the action. So when I go to games just you know I, I even tweet about what I get in my snack bag I don't know if you've seen that but I just yep. just to make people more engaged and you know walking outside the ground take a picture of Trent Bridge and stuff like that so it is important to have a follow him but at the same time as long as your content's engaging your courage is engaging and fans are enjoying it then you know I'm a football fan myself I know what I want to see from journalists I follow um and, and you know they don't always have the, the most followers and whatever and I'm, I'm, I'm a long way I think plenty uh, number of followers only three thousand so um you know it's it's not all about followers it's about just generating uh, you know really good content that's enjoyable to, to watch and hopefully and read so hopefully um forest fans do enjoy the bridge i certainly enjoy going to games at the minute um so yeah long may it continue and you're in a lucky position to be able to go to games and clearly you and and the other journalists who are reporting from matches you are aware of the fact you need to kind of be communicating that you're very lucky to do it because you listen to Reggie Nottingham and David Jackson's always saying, well, I'd love to be down there, but I'm having to be in the studio because there's only so many people who are allowed in the ground. So um, I guess that's important. Um, And just still on that subject of of social media, obviously it is an integral part of your job. And a lot of the writing that you do um, for Snack Media and for Football League World does involve taking the temperature on twitter it does involve using some of that user-generated content to be able to shape stories um how do you balance you know generating clicks and generating an audience and generating engagement how do you balance that with actually telling the truth and making sure that you're putting across a fair picture yeah i get what you mean i I think a lot of what comes with uh, modern day media now when you look at nottinghamshire live for instance they've been guilty of people saying producing clickbait and for instance but I just think because it is ever changing these old you know old mainstream medias have got to um form to you know current trends you see um so I, I don't particularly like producing clip articles and I'm, I'm more into writing features and long forms you know long form content and you know I've got a piece coming out on uh, Miguel Guerrero coming out very soon and just um I, I really do like what the athletic um the they going down distributing quality content and um you know ad free and just basically making it what isn't anything that's important is what you're writing in your article but uh yeah i mean that's why i enjoy writing i enjoy writing long always i've done i've been a massive fan of writing for years and i enjoy writing long form content 
because you know I've got I'm a, I'm a mouth. I talk a lot, <laughs> so it's the best way for me to uh, some words out and get my um, opinions out on on forest in this instance. And um, obviously, this is something that's you know you're a writer mainly, and, and here you are talking on a podcast. Um, do you think that's the kind of route as well that is? You know, the Athletic are starting to do podcasts. Yeah. Reggie Nottingham do one. Uh, Reach Media do one for each team. So there's one on, on, on the Knots Live sports feed. And, of course, we're podcasters. So naturally, we would say that this fan-generated opinion, whereby we try and produce something that's balanced, something that is taking the best of, of the things that we're hearing, we would mm. say that that's the, best co- that's the best content, obviously. But we would yeah. say that, wouldn't we? Um, yeah. I mean, is that something that you think is important in the world of, of football journalism? 100%. I mean, I, I'm a big believer, and I know it's cliche, but football is really nothing about fans. Um, when I go to games at the moment, it's, it's it, of course, I enjoy it, but without the buzz of 30,000 Forest fans being there, it, it's, it's nowhere near as enjoyable. But uh, I love fan media. I really do. Even you know when you look at YouTube as well and look what Arsenal fan TV do, okay, they get a bit of stick for what they do sometimes when they get a bit annoyed. But I love the idea of fans being able to voice their opinion and, and being able to be heard because I think football over the years especially when you look at the Premier League, I think fans of Premier League clubs become a bit disconnected with their clubs, um, with, with the money and, you know, all the, all the some glamour of it all, really. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, you know, podcasts and fans giving their opinion and, and hosting their own shows and people on it. I love the idea of that. Um, this is the first podcast I've ever appeared, asked, to, asked to appear on, so it's um, a privilege to be on it. But, uh, 100%, I mean, I think podcasts are a great way of fans, as I said, having their say, um, having their opinion in a way which engages a lot of people and allows a lot of people to interact. So, um, yeah, long may it continue. Uh, yeah, and of course, I guess you mentioned Arsenal Fan TV there. I think there's also the danger of ending up going down the uh, the 606 route where it's just a bunch of people ranting, you know, old man yells at cloud and so on. <laughs> So, um, Stephen, uh, as uh, as George had mentioned there about empty stadiums and the fans not being there, you wanted to pick up on that, didn't you? Yeah, so how is, obviously we're living in unprecedented times and everybody in one way or another is being affected by the pandemic. But from your point of view, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected the way that you report on Forest and kind of your day-to-day job? Um, well, I work from home anyway, so on a day-to-day basis, it's not really affecting me too much. Um, when when uh, COVID wasn't a thing, I used to go down to London a couple of times a month uh, to visit our HQ, so to speak, or our offices. So, um, but when you get to games, it is very, it is very eerie. Um, it's very strange. You walk into the West Bridgeford end, and you've got a massive telly in front of you with a webcam on top of it, looking at your temperature. Um, well, that's a worrying thing because I drove to Barnsley on the first game of the season and I was thinking if I drive two hours on the road get somewhere and get turned away not only is it a waste of petrol but it's just a massive shame because I've said I'm going to be at the Barnsley game and um, I might not be allowed in but no it is it is very um, strange but I guess I'm in a position myself where I'm very fortunate where you know I don't have to go out I'm, I stay at home I myself to myself and I'm kind of not, I'm not I'm immune to it, of course, but just as I say, keeping myself to myself and um, not risking myself being put in any danger. And so it's been, that sounds selfish in some ways, but I mean, that's how it is. But uh, yeah, going to games, it obviously is very different. Um, so many protocols in check. You have to keep distance from everyone. There's loads of stewards about. There's, you know, a lot of social distancing measures in place and hand sanitizers. And I think, to be honest, um, without getting too 
manager Matty, I think that might be in place for quite a while, to be honest. Um, you know, I, there's nothing more. I'd love to see them fans return to the stadium and go on away days, for instance. But um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how football does go about, or the government do go about um, fans back into the stadium. Yeah, I think we're all just kind of waiting, aren't we, to, to see what happens and hopeful that we can all get back into stadiums sooner rather than later. But from, from your experience and from the games that you've seen, particularly at the city ground, mm. do you feel that the lack of supporters has helped Forest in any way or perhaps hindered them in games on the pitch? It's really hard to say. I think at the start of the season, when Forest obviously struggled under the Moochie, it would have been very interesting to see how fans or how the team would have got on if fans were there. Because whether that means that Forest would have been a success with 30,000 fans behind him or whether it means that Mucci would have been sacked earlier with all the fans on his back. It's so hard to say. What I would say is that the Championship's such an open division this season. I think the smaller teams, or not the smaller teams, but the teams you wouldn't expect to be up there, are forming well of, um, you know, well above the weight. I think Wickham at the weekend are a prime example of that. You know, Wickham, and they also beat Birmingham at St Andrews and home to Sheffield Wednesday. So they're just going out there and you know they have nothing to lose. Almost okay. The first half on Saturday they were they weren't too impressive, but the second half, uh, what I can remember one and McCleary on, you know, they really was some threat. And I think with thirty thousand Forest fans there after Taylor's goal, push on cheer the team on and they get upset Forrest get that second goal for half time I truly believe that because the way the game was going I, I really did believe Forrest were on top so I do believe fan, you know it's it, of course it is it focuses more on quality you that we can talk versus Crawley there's no way that game down is 6-5 without fans be, uh, with fans being there um, well I, 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 I wouldn't have put a bet on it uh, put it that way um, so yeah of course it makes a massive difference because fans oh, I know it's another cliche but they're 12th man and they, they can roll on at times and you know I think it does benefit the away team um, more than anyone to be honest because you know, they're normally seeing the underdogs but it's a level playing field at this moment in time Yeah and what's um, what's your relationship like with the other journos who report on Forest I mean do you get on well with them is there a competition uh, or do you generally kind of get on well and, and share the scoops and the stories that are out there Yeah I, I, I mean to be fair I'm not, I'm not um, I've never really spoken to any a great deal, to be fair, but they're all really nice and friendly and approachable. I mean, I went to Barnsley and um, it's the first game in the season and the only people from Nottingham, uh, well, Forest were there, were Eric Clapson and Paul Taylor. So, you know, they're nice people to talk to. Um, I think there's always, obviously, uh, a bit of competition in, in the journalism world. I wouldn't say there's any rivalry anyway. I mean, we all huddle around at post-match and record Hewton talking, record Lyle Taylor talking the weekend and we all have use their quotes and source stories and, you know, just to use coverage for our, our respective organisations. So, um, I mean, and Frey, for instance, Wade's a really nice guy to talk to and Dave Sutton. So, well, it's a really nice, um, happy camp on match days and uh, I'm not upset anyone yet. So, all good for the time being. <laughs> yeah. And I get the impression as well that Colin Frey's probably, he, 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 he sees himself as a bit of an elder statesman now, doesn't he? So, I'd imagine that... Covid uh, restrictions notwithstanding, he's probably the kind of guy to put an arm around your shoulder and, and give you give you reassurance <laughs> and, and some top tips. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, just um, you mentioned there about um, you know that the fans being the twelfth man, and there's something which we talked about in our in our November podcast. 
it's that question about would forest have done better or worse and really i mean as a forest fan as much as a as a reporter i'm sure you kind of you've pondered over this yourself because there have been so many times when um forest fans have really kind of spurred the team on in particular under sabri uh, last season and then there's been times when they've <laughs> actively done the opposite for example um mm. you know it was it was pretty t- even though we generally regard Karanka's uh year in charge as being broadly successful the knives were really out from when we had that run where we just couldn't score so um you know I, w- I would just wonder whether the collapse um, under Sabri, what that would have felt like if fans were still there, bearing in mind they were broadly supportive of the team uh, until until everything went wrong. Yeah, um, I, I hate to say it, but we all, I think some football fans are guilty of being a fickle sometimes. Um, you know, football fans, after winning five in a bounce, you're going to get promoted and when a manager doesn't win in five, it's you know, time to look for the future and you, know, you turn cynical, but... It's, it's something we can argue about till you know the cars come home. Really, I mean, last season it was that Millwall game, wasn't it? The last game before lockdown, and you know that was a bit uh, of a negative. But if fans remain in stadiums to the end of the season, I fully believe that Forest would make the top six. I don't think, um, I think the lack of fans there almost a bit of anxiety because they didn't away teams like uh, was it Swansea came to the Forest and obviously Stoke last game of the season. They came in nothing to lose, and okay, they didn't, they couldn't, um, you know, the fans weren't there to uh, feed anxiety into the team, but they came and did like they had nothing to lose. But I, I genuinely believe that if, if we did have fans in the last nine games of last season, I do think Forrest would have finished in the top six, and you know, we would be talking about a completely different thing. Savvy Lucia might still be here if that was the case, but um, you know, if it, it they obviously didn't make the playoffs last season, and I think this in the early stage of this season, fans would have been right on the Mucci's back. They really would have done. Um, that QPR game wasn't the best um, game by you know, any stretch of the imagination. And it was that Cardiff game straight after, wasn't it, where being all down, you do wonder what kind of effect that might have had um, and whether that would have affected the owners um, thinking slightly earlier. Um, I think if Forest fans were at the game, uh, at games now, they'd be really encouraged by what they watched, to be honest. I think Forest's results and performances have picked up a lot of late. I think we're finally starting to see what Chris Hewton wants from this Forest team. Um, I think Saturday was the most complete performance of the season. I mean, there's not many to choose from, of course, but things are getting better. So, um, yeah, fans will be desperate to get back into the stadium, as, as Steve said, and you know, uh, roll Forest back up the table and towards playoffs. Yeah, I mean, we spoke to Mark Dennison at the start of the season, uh, which is still available on our podcast feed, listeners. Um, and we... Um, Obviously, he's somebody who's he's well known as being a, a local media voice, but he's also somebody who's worked for the club for a number of years and under different regimes. So he started working at City Ground um, when Nigel Doughty had not long took over. He was there throughout the Fawaz years and, of course, now under the current regime, although he's not currently able to go to the stadium for, for obvious reasons. Yeah. And uh, Deno did say to us, well... Actually, yeah, we reckon the, the the hierarchy at the club, they do take the temperature of what the fans are feeling. Do you think that's massively different now? Because I think that what people say at the ground and what people say on social media, which is broadly speaking the other public forum that we have, that can sometimes feel vastly different, can't it? I, believe, I, I agree with that to some extent, yes. Um, obviously, it's different when 
if 30,000 Forest fans voiced their discontent at Maranakis about Lamucci, and of course he feel the pressure, but I still do feel that, sorry, I do still feel that they do still feel the pressure. Um, you know, fans don't go to games to the voice of content, uh, discontent on social media. And I think that it's important that when Forest do eventually, or football clubs do eventually uh, bring fans back into, into stadiums, to make sure they stay there and keep going because you know, Forest will want fans to come back when they're on the verge of or, or in the top six. So um, you know, I do believe it's probably the right decision for the Richard God. I want to dwell on the past too much, but um, I do believe the way they started the season after that Cardiff game and also the Bristol City game, I don't, I don't believe that fans uh, shouting or moaning and you know, criticising would have affected the decision. I think the decision had to be made regardless of them being there or not. Uh, I reckon, uh, you know, so without dwelling specifically on Sabri, because, you know, that's something we could debate until the cows come home, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But um, obviously, for Waz, did listen to fans on Twitter a lot. He used that as as his yardstick. Um, and I guess what I'm concerned about is that, and for you, in terms of some of the writing that you have to do, where you are using user-generated opinions, mm. uh, you know, there's that issue the classic thing you used to get on the radio Nottingham um, post-match phone-ins. Like, that was a disgusting performance from the Reds. I wasn't at the match, but I've never seen them play so badly. And you get a lot of that on Twitter as well. So how do you, how do you sort the wheat from the chaff? Yeah, there is. I mean, I mean, football fans in general are quite reactionary, I think. I think um, you know, a lot of people would have been angry when Sabri left. I know we don't want Sabri too much, but a lot of people would have been angry about the way they start the season as well as the way they ended last season. I think after a couple of days when the dust settled, I think people will say what a generally nice guy he was. A nice guy uh, he was and the way he settled into the city and settled into life in the club. And, you know, he, he, you could tell when we, whenever he spoke, he, he did have a genuine love for the club. He wanted the best, as any manager does want for their football club. Um, no, it, it is hard because, you know, emotions are raw after any post-match, um, any, any game. And it is, it is hard separate what fans actually feel like or if they're just you know, angry at the time. But um, yeah, touching on Fawaz, you know, he, he did listen to a lot of um, what fans said and I think fans can often drive managers out of clubs at times. And I think when you look over the other side of the Trent as well, when Kevin Nolan was in charge in Knox County, Alan Hardy wasn't exactly the quietest person on Twitter and fans demanded change. They demanded younger players and they demanded not so many old players and people came tumbling down for them and now find themselves in the National League. So, can be quite dangerous at times, I suppose. Um, but football clubs have got that in their best interests, and you know, that's the, the fans' um, opinion should be of interest because they're the, the lifeblood of a club. And I, I would go back to Nigel Doughty, though, who for so many years didn't want to have anything to do with with speaking in public, and so he just wanted to go to the matches, do his best to kind of run the club. And mm. I guess, you know. I think we all agree he didn't do a perfect job and, and there, were, there were times when he could have done things differently and, and uh, I'm sure everyone would agree that. But at the same time, you'd imagine that in those days that was kind of a utopia for a club owner or chairman. Um, Marinakis tries to do that as well because he's got his main interests in Greece. I wonder if that is something that's changed in terms of the nature of football, the business now, whereby you do see club owners and chairmen in in the public eye a lot more. And of course, that's happening down the road at Derby right now, where Mel Morris is, is trying to sell up and there's all these issues about, well, 
will he be selling the stadium as well? Because that's valued as much as the club, apparently. Yeah. Um, so is that something that changes the role of the journalist in terms of how they report on the club? Um, tough question. I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I think it's very dangerous when chairmen start commenting on or owners start commenting on the... Um, State of the club because you looked at uh, also Chan Siri from Chef Wednesday today. He, he came out a few days ago and publicly backed Terry Monk. Here we are today, Wednesday, looking for the new manager. So um, I think from a journalist point of view, you've just got to you know, tell the truth and you know, give fans quite inside knowledge about their club. And you know, owners won't want to come out and speak about ins and outs or specific ins and outs of a club. Um, I, I, when when it comes to informing fans and said about Mel Morris there, he's not the type of character to come out and talk about oh, why did he play on Saturday or, you know, he, he wants to talk about more serious stuff like the stadium and, and so forth. So um, I think ta- I think times have especially changed because the prize of getting Premier League football is so much greater than ever, really. I think, especially in the Championship of Forest Division, it's all about the promotions and the relegations. Like, isn't it? If you set up a mid-table, you're not being ambitious enough. But also, if you finish in the lower half of the table, you're still not being ambitious enough. So it's all about promotion. And I think that's changed a lot in, you know, in the last decade or so since Dalty's obviously at the club. And, um, the, in the prize of Premier League football, you know, how many, how many, how many, million, many millions you get, um, I think that does play a lot on fans' as, um, opinions and their, their minds and, and the chairman's too. Okay, right. We're going to uh, call an end to part one of this conversation with George Harvey. We will be back in your feed very shortly with part two where we're going to be discussing getting embedded at a football club. We'll be discussing the balance of reporting difficult stories while still not alienating yourself. And we'll start talking about some of the other journalists and their relationships with the club. So join us in part two on your feeds very soon. Podcast Network. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.